all get angry, don't we? And it seems like often it's over silly stuff that really shouldn't matter at all. So what is the deal with anger anyway? Here's Pastor David. You all ever gotten worked up? You ever been angry? You ever exploded in anger? You ever yelled at your spouse or your kids or your parents or your friends or another driver on the road? Some of you, I won't name names. But why do you get angry? Why? We have been in a series of messages of sermons called Right Side Up. And it's about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached a Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapters 5 through 7 in the Bible. And, and he's, he's basically, it's the righteous one, Jesus Christ, teaching us what righteousness looks like. And what he shows us is that righteousness, our, our view from the world's perspective, is upside down from the view that God has of what righteousness is. And God and Jesus in this, in this sermon is turning it right side up. And so that's kind of where we're coming from. How do we be good disciples of Jesus Christ? In order to do so, we have to live right side up. And in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is actually basically the body of the sermon, it starts and closes with Jesus referencing the law and the prophets. Because it's Jesus who has come and fulfills the law and the prophets. So in Matthew 5, 17, the beginning of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And when we get to the end of this section, Lord willing, we'll get to this verse. Matthew 7, 12, it says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So everything we study in this section needs to be understood correctly in terms of Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets through his birth, through his life, through his ministry, through his death, through his resurrection, through his approaching return. All of those things that Jesus is were fulfilling the law and the prophets. And it needs to be seen through the principle and the spirit of the law and the prophets, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus points part of that out here where he says, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Treat others how you would like to be treated. You all learned this in kindergarten, right? This is, this is the golden rule. Everybody sort of knows about this. So that's our framework for what we study that follows. So let's, let's keep that framework in mind. Let's say our scripture for the day. It's in Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. This is a serious piece of Jesus Christ's teaching. And he starts by sort of giving us this uh, view of anger and talking about anger and violence through murder and anger in the heart. Anger in the heart. What is clear is that there is a lot more to righteousness than just what we do physically. 
It's a lot more to righteousness than just what we do. What we do is important, but what we think, what we allow ourselves to wallow in emotionally, what's in our heart is a, is a huge part of what righteousness is too. That's where it all starts. And we'll see as we look through the teachings of Jesus Christ that he is always looking at the heart. He's always looking to the heart, not just to what we do, but to the heart. And he is the only one, God is the only one who can see our hearts. And that's important. That's really important for two reasons. One, it's important because we have to realize that we cannot hide from God what we think we can hide from other people. We cannot hide from God what we think we can hide from others. We may, we may think that our thoughts are our own, that our actions that are done in the dark or outside of where people can see are our own, but they're not. God sees it all. He sees right through us. He sees into our hearts. He knows our heart, and he knows that it's from our heart that unrighteousness comes, that unrighteousness is born. This is what he says in Matthew 15, 16 through 20. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. But we, we still try to hide from God, right? We still try to hide from from the very beginning, the fall, chapter 3 of Genesis. You have Adam and Eve sinning, messing up, and hiding. This is what it says in, in uh, Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? As if he didn't know, right? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He's hiding. This whole idea of hiding from God, whether physically or thinking that we can hide our thoughts or what's in our heart, is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Listen to what David, King David of Israel, the psalmist, writes in Psalm 139, 7 through 12. Where can I flee from your spirit? Or where will I run from your presence? If I rise to heaven, you are there. If I lay down with the dead, there you are. If I take wings with the dawn and settle down on the western horizon, your hand will guide me there too, while your right hand keeps a firm grip on me. If I say darkness will surely conceal me, and the light around me will become night, even darkness isn't dark to you. Darkness and light are the same to you. God sees right through it. God sees the heart. But here's the other thing, the second thing that's important. We do not. We do not see the hearts of other people. How many times is our anger directed at someone because we assume we know their motives and their intentions? I can tell you right now, of all the things that I do to annoy people and to annoy my wife and my kids and whoever, only about half of them are intentional, right? The other half are totally unintentional. I'm just careless, right? People don't realize how often other people are just not paying attention. I don't know how many times I have cut somebody off on the road, not because I was trying to cut them off, but I just wasn't paying attention, right? And the person behind me, based on the lights flashing, the honking, and the finger signals, they thought that I was cutting them off on purpose, right? They're assuming my motives, that I was like, trying to, trying to cut them off. When the truth is, I wasn't being a jerk. I'm just careless, which is also not good, but you care a lot more when somebody trips you intentionally versus somebody who accidentally bumps into you and knocks you over, right? There's a difference. We assume different motives and we assume different levels of offense. 
but we assume sometimes that we know why other people do the actions that they do. There is no doubt that sin begins in the heart, but be very careful assuming that every offense that you take was intended to offend you because you cannot see the heart. This passage also shows us that violence is done to others in more ways than just bloodshed, more ways than just fists and weapons. I don't know how everyone else feels about this, but there's an old rhyme that we used to say when I was a kid. It's probably been said for a long time. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. (laughs) Total lie. Total lie, right? Not true. Words hurt. They hurt bad, especially, this is important, especially harsh words from those who we are the closest to, from those who we have the the most loving and close relationships with. Those are the words that hurt the most. And the really, really unfortunate thing is that the people who we often are the quickest to say things that we ought not to say, to say harsh words, to say condemning words, are the people who are closest to us, the people who those words hurt the most. If my wife or my kids or my siblings or my friends or whoever, my family, any of you that I love so much were to say certain things to me, it would cause me great pain. Words hurt. Words hurt. I would rather have the rod than the tongue. I would rather have a punch in my face than certain harsh words said to me. The tongue is a very powerful and very dangerous thing. Listen to what James writes in uh, James 3, 7 through 10. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. The Holy Spirit inspires James to write this because it is dead true. The tongue can be very evil. It can be very evil. And I would rather take a punch than verbal abuse most of the time. But to be honest with you, I'd rather have neither. I'd rather have you show me the grace that you would want for yourself, which is where we need to get to. Because you can do great harm. We can do great harm with our words. Anger and angry words dehumanize other people. They dehumanize other people. We read the words of Jesus Christ earlier when he said, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Raka is probably not a word that you use a lot. I'm guessing that you don't use that word a lot. It's a word of contempt from the first century. And fool is, is not really the way we would use the word fool to sort of mean you're not very wise or something like that. It was much more than that. It was, a, it was a contemptuous, uh, judgmental, disdainful, scornful thing to say to somebody. It said that they were basically worthless and godless. It was a contemptuous thing to say. These are words that devalue and dehumanize other people. That's what they do. They are words that we use all the time. Not necessarily these ones, but ones just like them that do the same thing. We use them all the time to put people down. And just even the idea of putting people down is dehumanizing. What, are we, what do we mean putting them down? We mean trying to lift ourselves up by putting somebody else down. We're devaluing, we're dehumanizing when we put people down. When we speak those kinds of words in anger. I looked up uh, 
contempt on dictionary.com. And it discussed the, the word contempt and its synonyms, disdain and scorn. This is what it said. Contempt, disdain, scorn implies strong feelings of disapproval and aversion toward what seems base, mean, or worthless. Contempt is disapproval tinged with disgust. Disdain is feeling that a person or thing is beneath one's dignity and unworthy of one's notice, respect, or concern. Scorn denotes open or undisguised contempt, often combined with derision. When we lash out in anger with our tongue, we are showing contempt, disdain, and scorn for people who are made in the image and likeness of God. And who are we to claim that women and men and children made in the image and likeness of God are worthless or are disgusting or unworthy? Who are we to say that other people are beneath our own dignity or don't deserve our respect? But we use these words. People use words of contempt and derision all the time, often when they're angry. And Jesus Christ is telling us something big here. He's saying that when we do that, it's like murder. It's like murder. Because in our hearts, we are devaluing and hating our brothers and sisters when we speak this way in anger. It's very serious. Murder is devaluing another human life through violence. Words of contempt and scorn and disdain are devaluing another human life with the tongue. They both come from the same place in the heart. Both are unrighteous. Both are sin. Both lead to judgment and hell. That's what Jesus is telling us here. You cannot spit on your brother or your sister with your words when these people are made in the image and likeness of God and think that God is going to be okay with that. You cannot think that you're going to dehumanize my daughter or my son and think that you and me are going to be okay. If you dehumanize my child, you're going to get a father's righteous wrath. If you dehumanize God's child, you're going to get the Father's righteous wrath. It's a lot worse than mine. It's real. Anger is about selfishness, and anger is about pride. That's what they're about. Earlier I said, why do I get angry? Why do you get angry? We get angry because we're prideful. We're prideful. That's why we get angry. We're selfish. We lift ourselves up. We see the world as a ladder, and we want to get to the top of it. We see some people as below us, and we kick at them. We see some people as above us, and we try to yank them down. That's the way that we live in this world. That's the upside-downness of our world and of our culture. We ignore what the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write in Romans 12, verse 3. It says this, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And instead of doing that, and instead of putting our value in God and not letting ourselves be moved so much by other people, instead of doing that, we measure our worth in the respect and praise of other people instead of the love and affection we have in Jesus Christ. And boy, does that cause problems. How many likes did I get on my last selfie? Seven. No, I'm kidding. I don't do selfies. <laughs> Am I making more money than my neighbor? And is anyone noticing? Did I make captain of the team? Did that guy just look at me wrong? Did that person just cut me off? 
Is my wife being nice enough to me like I deserve? Is my husband being nice enough to me like I deserve? Are my parents realizing how capable I am? And on and on and on. We thrive on recognition and a weird version of self-esteem that's been brought into our culture. And it's just pride and it's selfish and it leads to anger every time that we get offended. Every time that that pride and that selfishness gets offended, it leads to anger. What if the guy did cut you off? What if he did? Is he worthless and worthy of your contempt? Or is he made in the image and likeness of God, and maybe the guy's just having a bad day? What if you didn't get enough likes? What if you don't make as much money as you'd like? Are you worth less because of that? Why do you get angry? Because you're more concerned. We are more concerned with our own pride and our own self-importance than we are with the person who offended us. We're willing to take that person down in our anger in order to make them feel the pain that we feel in our offense. We lift ourselves above others. That's where the anger comes from. Remember the last verse of this section says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now here's the thing about anger. Anger is the opposite of whatever you want men to do to you, do to them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's the opposite. When you let anger rule in your heart, you are not sowing to the spirit, but to the flesh, to the body, to your pride, to your selfishness. You're not thinking about the value and the best for your neighbor at all. If you're a human being, and I believe that most of you are, you probably have a double standard. Let me tell you about this double standard. It goes something like this. If I tell a lie, it was a mistake. It was a one-off. I probably have a good excuse for it. But if not, it's still totally forgivable. Lying is not part of my character. I'm not a liar. I just happen to tell a lie. If my brother or my sister tells a lie to me, it's much simpler. They are a liar. Right? It's clearly part of their character. If I yell at you, I'm probably justified. Because, you know, I didn't have enough to eat or I was too tired or maybe you really deserved it. But if it's not justified, at least it's forgivable because, of course, I'm not a jerk. I'm not abusive. It was a one-off. It's not part of my character. If my brother or sister yells at me, it's much simpler. She's a jerk, an abuser. That's a bad character. It's a way that we view the world sometimes. We have this double standard, and this double standard leads to all kinds of anger. I'm sure that, like me, a lot of what Pastor David described today sounds all too familiar, but there is hope. And if anger is something you're struggling with and you'd like some help, call us at 360-885-9000. We'd love to help you find the peace that comes by knowing Jesus. Thanks for listening, and you'll want to check out Part 2 for much more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.